0: everybody. It is Friday night. We are here on The Review. I'm Gideon Kariuki.
1: I'm John Brown.
0: I'm Haley Spilo.
1: I'm Alejandro de la Cerda.
0: I'm Ethan Pelland. And we're your panel tonight. You're going to hear a lot from us on a lot of different events going on in the world, and I can't believe we're here on air for our first episode. So with that, um... I'm going to hand it over to John for the breakdown, our news... Uh, sorry, the Express, our news
2: headlines. Thanks, Gideon. Happening now A news. Um, this one is pretty startling to hear, as me, as we talked about this in our JMC 201 class. This Phoenix mom who smothered her three kids in her home after moving from Oklahoma. Um, very, very sad to hear. Um, we're, we were talking about whether she was going to get the death penalty... Uh, um, or not, or going to get introduced into, uh, not introduced, but get like put into a psych ward. So later I'm going to get to like opinions on that. If Gideon, are we allowed to talk about that? Or is this just...
0: <laughs> I mean, whatever goes. i um, But yes, um, so, but yes, our headlines of the day.
2: Yes. Okay. We'll get back to that later. And in China now, there's a new outbreak of coronavirus that is spreading through Wuhan, China. Now, airports in the U.S., such as Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, and even here in Phoenix, are starting to screen passengers coming from China, um, who may, or I'm sorry, coming through the Wuhan area, who um, may have the coronavirus, because I know this is a very, very serious disease, and health centers at uh, health North does have signs saying that if you are in the Wuhan area within the last two weeks or if you traveled to the Wuhan area, please go see health services immediately and they will direct you what to do. Um, they have also sent out a student wide email, so please say that. Please see them if you have been in the Wuhan, China area within the last two weeks. And another headline that's making news hundreds of travelers were temporarily evacuated from parts of the Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport today after a woman was angry that she wasn't allowed to board a plane and she made a threat that prompted an investigation by the police bomb squad now this flight was heading to salt lake city and this and her angry tirade, caused three flights to be delayed um passengers apparently got pictures of this on social media And now everything is back to normal. But this is not uncommon to see this happening as this happens in my hometown a lot. And that was a lot of headlines at you, but we're gonna get it down and we're gonna break it down. Uh, That is the headlines. Back to you, Gideon.
0: Thank you so much, John. And with that, um, next up is dorm dispatches. And Ethan, you're, uh, you're, actually, uh, Ethan is, I should mention, is the only person here who's actually from the Tempe campus.
2: Welcome, Ethan
0: yeah and he's got a pretty interesting perspective and some stories to tell us from the other side so Ethan, you were sharing with me some stories and I'd love for you to tell the whole panel um there was uh two uh, main stories that I was uh
3: following this uh actually three stories um the first one was um there was a kind of a bomb scare earlier this um over last weekend at the uh, near the Barrett complex I at, at visited seoul um Fortunately, it just turned out to be just uh, someone had left a car, and but the authorities, like, I saw, like, got this email. I wasn't there, but I was, like, pretty pretty weird and concerned just to see this email about, like, a bomb bomb threat possibly. Um, the other story was uh, the uh, USG Senate um, had a kind of a controversial um, resolution that popped up um, about whether or not to notify the uh, campus whenever ice agents are on campus Um, some groups were feeling felt very strongly that um, the school should be notifying students um, especially undocumented student groups and DACA student groups measure did not pass. Um, and then the uh, third story, kind of one closer for me, was that the Maricopa County um, came and did a, a deputy registrar training, which I participated in. And, you know, with the presidential preference election coming up, you know, it's great to be seeing students getting involved in the registration process, especially in, in a nonpartisan way. So like we want as many students as possible voting and getting out there.
0: Well, wonderful. Um, any thoughts on any of those stories? I, I got some, but I'd love to hear from everyone else.
1: I guess with the I situation, um, I sympathize with the students who would like to be alerted um, because where I'm from, I'm from a majority Hispanic and Latinx community. um, And I know it's like a very big issue, so uh, I just sympathize with those students and hope that they can feel comfortable on campus after this news.
4: I would definitely agree that it was very important that everyone was safe and happy and that the bomb threat was nothing too dangerous or worrying.
0: And John?
2: Yeah, going, yeah, that bomb threat, I didn't even know about that bomb threat. That was really, really scary, and especially in this time of the age that you have to take that very seriously because you don't know what someone's intentions are going to be.
0: Oh yeah, I'd very, I'd strongly agree with that. Um, yeah, I actually got that alert at pretty early on Saturday morning. I, Saturday's like one of the few days I can actually sleep in, which is nice. <laughs> I have a pretty morning-leaning schedule. So yeah, waking up and seeing bomb threat, but no, like, nah, it's not a thing. All clear, I'm like, uh, that's a little weird. So I missed the panic part of it. I got the live-safe alerts that, Oh, by the way, if you're listening and an ASU student, uh, you can sign up for those pretty easy. Just get the LiveSafe app and sign up. Oh, yeah,
2: never mind. I got the alert then. I thought it was, like, something separate. No, no, that was that LiveSafe alert. Yeah, okay.
0: Yep, that was the event. Okay. Yep, Uh, it was even covered, picked up by the local news. It was uh, not a great moment, uh, and I'm glad that it wasn't anything more than a suspicious situation. And, yes, I definitely do want to... second Alejandro on, uh, I definitely do understand that there is a lot of pain and hurt in in the Latino community concerning ICE and a lot of the border-related issues and immigration. It's It's definitely a scary issue if you're right by it, if it is something that directly affects you. So... Yes yeah, for the what student government chose to do i am I am sure they had the best intentions, but uh I'm guessing it would be a little hard, i guess from where I see it. I'm guessing from the perspective of somebody who's directly affected by those policies might not feel the same way so with that, um any other things any of you have been seeing around c- school at ASU generally any Oh huh? um,
3: I just wanted to note to anyone that's uh Listening right now, it, it's actually a really good idea to sign up for those uh, live alerts, um, just to always keep you aware of things that are going on. Um, even if maybe it's not like a big deal like that was, say, is if you can always. It, it's just good to be aware of what's going on and being able to help out the authorities in situations like that.
0: Yeah, and uh, oh yeah. So um, b- before we move on, I just want to ask, go around the. T- uh, Tables. We're actually in two different rooms. <laughs> um, and ask, how's everyone feeling being back?
2: It's a little rough. I feel like the semester is a little more challenging than the last semester. But that break was so good, and I was saying during break, I was like, "Man, I can't wait to be back." Break is kind of getting boring, but now I wish I was in break again with all the work I have to do.
4: You know, to an extent, I totally ditto what John just said. It was being on break was super nice, but by the end of it, I was bored. But I'm happy to be back here, back with my friends, reporting and doing what I love. So uh, I'll take it. I'll take being back at school despite all the work.
1: I'm So during break, I was, like, not looking forward to coming back at all because, I don't know, for me, like, r- first semester was super rough. So I was just, like, not trying not to think about it, like, living in my own, like, like just like staying away from it but to be honest I've actually had a really good um, time back and I'm a lot more productive this semester and I feel a lot better like about my academics and like where I am like in journalism so overall I feel pretty good. Um, I mean not much different
3: from all the others that have spoken so far Um, you know Getting into that third and fourth week, I start to feel like, you know, I don't have enough structure. I don't have enough to do. It's great to be back with my family. I mean, not, not discounting that, but um, it's nice to be back at school, back getting into into the organizations I'm involved in, working on schoolwork. It's just good to have that structure and and feel like I'm being productive with my time.
0: Yeah, I guess I would definitely reiterate uh, what Ethan said. Um, I'm somebody... I'm, all of you here know me pretty decently. Like I'm somebody who very much thrives under that kind of structure. I might I, I'm somebody who handles stress both badly and well at the same time. <laughs> uh, Haley knows that better than everyone else in the studio, and she's nodding her head. Yep. <laughs> um, but at the same time, yeah, it's nice to be back doing what I love, getting more in depth into the journalism program here, and. Getting back back involved with all the clubs I'm in, Um, being here on Blaze, I mean, yeah, getting the show on and having you all here, like, this is crazy in the best way possible, and I'm, so I'm happy to be back and
2: very stressed to be back at the same time. I know two of you are in state, but what about the rest? Are you guys all in state?
4: I'm out of state. I'm from New York, but my family recently moved to Scottsdale, so oh, nice. it's more complicated than would meet the eye, perhaps. What
2: part? Um, what part of New York are you from?
4: The Bronx, and I lived in Manhattan too. So. Oh wow, that's yep. so cool.
2: Yeah. What about you, Ethan? Are you from here?
3: I'm from Chandler, so oh, nice, <laughs> nice. not that much of a not much of a transition over. A what
2: made your family move all the way out here from New York? That's so um, cool.
4: My dad wanted to change a pace, and he was done with the cold. We also have relatives out here. They were going to move here. Either way, I got into ASU, into Cronkite, not to ego Cronkite more than it needs to be, but it is a great journalism school, so they were like, you're moving out here. We'll follow you. we were going to come out here anyway. So, yeah, that's that story.
2: Nice, 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 nice. I'm not from here. I'm from Chicago, so...
0: Yeah, um, and I'm also, like, a majority of the panel, i um, an in-state student. Yeah. I'm from Surprise. A little further than Ethan. I know Alejandro's definitely the furthest in-state person here. Yeah,
1: I'm about an hour south in Casa Grande, wow. right, right in between Tucson and Phoenix.
2: Oh, yeah, so you're, like, smack dab in the middle then. Mm. Nice. You yeah. made the
0: right choice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't say it better. Um... And with that, uh, what, I'd like to transition it um, over to news. Um, let's talk. Let's do the breakdown. Let's talk about the news stories of this week. Um, I'm guessing I'm going to start this wonderful segment. Um, I'm going to do a little short thing on a weird topic. On, a, I, I was planning to introduce this in a, in a more humorous way, and I'm not going to, unfortunately, because it didn't work out very well. Um, Haley is sad about that, (laughs) but we're going to talk about sex, baby. (laughs) Ed, education. Um, (laughs) No, we're not getting that raunchy here. Um, So this is probably one of the most divisive issues of our time. You know, at the intersection of a lot of culture of... Uh, what's going on in studio? Uh, wait, I can pause this for a second. Uh, what? Uh, what's going <laughs> um, on in the other studio?
4: <laughs> I was looking at Twitter, and there's a trending topic, Hot Girls for Bernie.
0: Oh, um, my. Um.
4: And yeah, some news that we all in studio were like, hmm, that's interesting. It's something to pick up on.
0: Yeah, so folks at home, pay attention. Hot Girls for Bernie. Apparently, that's trending a thing. Trending on Twitter. Um. <laughs>
1: Back to the news. Uh, yeah, back to the news. Yes.
0: Um, so, as I was saying, um, this is probably one of the most divisive issues of our time. Sexual education is definitely at the intersection of culture and politics and not an easy issue to deal with, especially considering many people have very different and very strong views on it, ranging from them being completely supportive, saying we need comprehensive sexual education, that it, that goes over everything. That's more than the abstinence only model, which only says essentially the idea of the abstinence only model for those of you at home is don't do it. Just don't do it. But um, a lot of people support comprehensive sexual education, which touches more on the conflict, like, like uh, not be for the younger ones, especially that aren't ready for the more comprehensive version of it. Uh, Talking about like, don't let predators get to you. Um, And then as they get older and, start to, you know, realize that kind of stuff um on their own, teaching them the ways to deal with it and to not be to essentially do it safely. And of course, definitely a controversial issue. There's probably I cannot think of an issue more controversial than sex uh, at all. <laughs> I'd like somebody to one up me on that, but I don't think you will.
1: Okay, so um on this topic I have uh I have some thoughts for sure cuz I'm from
0: uh, actually
1: Sorry, let me finish okay. this. Sorry, okay. that was just the intro to that.
0: Okay. I was just going, sorry. No, no, you're good, Alejandro. It's all good. Um, I'm just going to finish this then because there's a story here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I'm getting to. I just wanted to make sure everyone's we're all on the same page. Um, so let's do a bit of a rewind. Uh So in September of 2019, State House Speaker Rusty Bowers um, was talking at a Gilbert Education Forum and he was talking about um, state school superintendent Kathy Hoffman. Um, for context, this is somewhat of a partisan battle that we're getting into. Um, Bowers is a Republican. Hoffman is a Democrat who got elected in 2018. And Bowers had, was calling Hoffman a radical um, concerning comprehensive sex education. And I'm going to read a little bit from the Arizona's mere write-up on the forum. Um, sorry. Bowers claimed that Planned Parenthood has, quote, created the business plan of hell, end quote, and that comprehensive sex education promotes a sexual lifestyle that leads to more abortions and more treatments for sexually transmitted diseases, which Bowers said helps Planned Parenthood's, quote, bottom line, end quote. And it kind of got more divisive and nasty as he went on, continuing to say that, um, that conference of sex ed, uh, quote, sexualizes children, um, insinuated that Hoffman is a radical again and that she wants to radicalize children and their sexuality. And this is a segue into a more recent story, actually. So I, I bring that up because that uh, that really didn't make big headlines at the time. But what made me think about that is something that happened more recently. So um, those of you who have been paying attention to the news for the past month or so have n- noticed that Arizona is in the national news again for a bill that our legislature introduced. Um, those of you who aren't from Arizona, the state legislature is fun. <laughs> and both the literal way and the sarcastic way at times. So <laughs> so a bill that made the waves in the past couple weeks um, was from State Senator Sylvia Allen. And let's rewind back to that same education form. She was actually there, by the way. And Allen, Senator Allen, had this to say. Um, so she w- said that pornography was being given to students in those comprehensive sex ed programs, and that if Hoffman's agenda continues, parents would lose their say in sex ed, and she was pledging to stop having it taught before the fifth grade at all. And I really want to reiterate that, um, to not push an agenda or anything, but sex ed is more than just telling kids about sex itself, sexual intercourse. I just want to make that clear. Um, so Alan did keep her word, 100%, and then some. So when the legislature, um, was starting to introduce bills, they reconvened last Monday. Um... Alan introduced a bill to ban sex ed at all before the seventh grade, like it would be prohibited to be taught before then. And this was met with national and statewide support or outrage, depending on who you were talking to. And that's sort of a, of course, a lot, I'm sure most of you in here have heard about this, at least the second part. So on that, I just want to, Alejandro, you seem to have some thoughts earlier, and I just want to hear what you have to say.
1: Um, Well, um, where I'm from, Pinal County, I don't know if it still is, but I know at one time we had one of the top highest teen pregnancy rates in the whole country. Um, So, and in our town, we didn't have sexual education in our high school, although I do remember in seventh grade we were required to take abstinence. And, like, if you didn't do abs, if your parents didn't sign the abstinence form, uh, like they were gonna make you do like a huge packet of work, and like obviously nobody wanted to do it, so everybody did abstinence. And I just remember it being very like weird, cause we just like went to like the auditorium for like five classes, like skipped out on gym, and like we just like the guy just gave us a presentation about like why we shouldn't have sex and like <laughs> abstinence, like yeah, and then like. And for the final presentation, we had, like, a trivia. So we were just, like, shouting things like penis and, like, other weird sex terms for, like, points for, like, a prize at the end to show that we, like, retain the knowledge on abstinence. And I just don't think that's, like, the way to go when you could be teaching people, like, like real things that matter, like, in sexual education, not, like, having seventh graders do a quiz about, like, sex and, like like me- using it as like a measure for us retaining the knowledge and like staying abstinent. Yeah, those are my thoughts.
3: I have a, a s- similar uh, s- sort of story. Um, actually, what the Bill of was talking about has basically already been adopted back in the district where I'm from, which is the Chandler Unified School District, where um, the school board essentially decided that they would no longer allow the schools to have um, sexual education courses at all before seventh grade um so basically my city has already adopted this sort of uh, stance um and even even when they were sort of allowing it in fifth and sixth grade it was still kind of like what Alejandro was talking about where it's just it's it's not teaching people about how to do it properly or how to do it safely it's just more so like don't do it don't think about it but at least from my point of view, that isn't a very realistic stance to take, and it's a lot better, in, in my view, to be teaching kids at least, or not teaching, but like explaining to them how to do it safely because a lot of them are still going to do it.
4: I guess on the opposing side of things, like I was telling you all earlier, I'm from New York City. We grew up learning about sex education from the fourth grade all the way through high school. I think it was important, and I think, like everyone has said, sex education is more about than just simply having sex. You know, we need to learn about things like puberty. We need to learn about how our bodies continue to grow, drugs, all sorts of different things that you may learn in a science class. You may not. But there's also a purpose in a sex education class beyond just sexual education. Once you get to a older age, you probably should learn about those things, and that's what high school sex education is for, I think. So I don't think... I understand where these people are coming from, but I think they need to realize there's more to sex education than just sex.
0: Yeah, I'd pretty much agree with Haley there. Mm -hmm. And uh, John, do you have any?
2: Um, Well, we did have to take sex education slash like health in seventh grade and eighth grade, and then we had to do it our sophomore year of high school. But yeah, Haley sums it up really good. Yeah. I agree.
3: Oh, and if I'm going to be honest, I just think sophomore year is just a little too late. I mean, at least Well, there's... we
2: got it introduced in 7th and 8th grade. It was just a... It's a state law yeah. that we had to take it in high school and everything. But yes, sophomore year is very late. Because if you think of what high schoolers, like... I mean, yes, it's good for high schoolers to get it introduced to them again. Because high schoolers have a very active sex life, as shown in statistics. So... Yeah, Um,
0: I guess I should share a little bit of my experience. Um, So I didn't live in Arizona during my middle school years. I lived in Arizona for most of my elementary school years and high school and now. But um, I went to a Kenyan private school. um, And we're not going to get into that entire story. Uh, (laughs) I'm not here to explain that. But um, we, so our version of sex ed, because I left before we did the, The school district I was in at the time, uh, Peoria Unified, didn't start it till 6th. I left beginning of 6th. So, and, so, I go to Kenya, and we actually have a, they actually took us to a camp. And then they explained all this stuff to us, and then pretty much in the same abstinence only, like, okay, this is how your body works, don't do it, kids. And I went to a religious school, so there was that whole added religious message on it. But, yeah. Um, so that's where I'm coming from. And they I should mention that in Arizona, the laws on sex ed are it's opt it's opt in. So the parents actually do have to sign a form, a waiver and schools are not required to teach it in Arizona. Um, in high school, I did. I was in Arizona all of, for all but the first semester of high school and my school didn't teach it because it would be. Let's just, to, to call it a third rail would be an understatement. Let's just say rioting at best. <laughs> uh, to use a bit, yeah. to, to sprinkle on the hyperbole on air to say. It would have not been fun. The, uh,
1: yeah. It would have been controversial in my town, too.
0: Mine as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so anything el- a- any more things on like that before we, before I hand it off to Ethan to talk on foreign policy?
1: I think we summed it up.
0: Yeah. So yeah, Ethan, take, take us away, take us around the world with Ethan's weekly update on what's happening outside of the, the nation's borders.
3: All right, well, he gave a pretty good intro. So uh, first, I'll be talking about um, the outbreak in the city of Wuhan, China. Um, I'll give you some, some more inf- um, some more statistics. So at least so far, 1,300 people have been infected and 41 have died. Um, The virus has spread to actually 10 other countries, including two cases here in the United States. However, fortunately, the CDC has quarantined both individuals. And as we were discussing earlier, they've been very um, judicious with finding and screening everyone. Um, And at the same time, about... Three days ago on Wednesday, the World Health Organization declined to declare a World Health Emergency, which would have laid out stricter guidelines and uh, provided assistance to states affected by the crisis. But with how quickly this is accelerated, I'm pretty sure when they meet again in seven days they will declare one. Uh, the Chinese government has swiftly taken drastic measures. They've shut down all travel in and out of the affected epicenter, leaving at least 40 million people locked in, as well all movie theaters, many malls, and other public places have been shut down. And this, is, uh, this actually has a pretty big effect on the financial markets, because Lunar New Year is coming up very soon, and there's a lot of travel and commerce. And I was reading earlier that uh, there, it was estimated about a billion dollars would be spent just in the box office for the Lunar Year. So, all those movie theaters, that's a lot of lost revenue. Wow. Um, staying in East Asia, the International Criminal Court reached a historic decision earlier this week. Uh, they condemned the genocide of Rohingya Muslims and ordered the civil authorities in Myanmar to take all necessary me- measures to protect its remaining Rohingya population. Okay, so to provide some uh, context to the situation, the Rohingya Muslim minority has long experienced marginalization and state violence since the inception of the Buddhist state, Buddhist Burmese state. Sorry, Um, they have been deprived of citizenship by the Myanmar government since the 1982 nationality law, and are generally considered to be a stateless people. And the Myanmar government's official position still is that they're illegal immigrants from Bangladesh. Um, their treatment by the national government did not improve with the introduction of democratic elections in 2011 and did culminate in an indiscriminate state crackdown in May of 2017. Um, b- during this, Buddhist militias and the Myanmar security forces killed at least 24,000 Rohingya and razed and looted at least uh, 900 villages. During the crackdown as well, it, they weren't just killing killings, there was also mass gang rapes and sexual assaults that were conducted. Um, And the crackdown produced an enormous refugee crisis that sent hundreds of thousands of Rohingya to Bangladesh, India, and other surrounding states. Um, And as the crackdown occurred also, Myanmar barred the press and NGOs for nearly two years from the region and imprisoned two royal journalists for reporting on the crisis. Um, And pivoting slightly, still in the same situation, was it was quite extraordinary that... Of all the nations, Gambia, which is a which is a landlocked, small African state, was the one who brought this to the ICC. And it required a considerable amount of courage for their justice minister justice minister to bring the case. Um, many larger countries had neglect, uh chosen not to do so because the Chinese government had put a lot of pressure um, not to do so because the Chinese government has pretty strong ties with the Myanmar government, and the story actually has some. Uh, Connection to ASU as a visiting scholar that came here earlier in the fall semester at Barrett, Dr. Simon Adams was very involved in lobbying and advising the government in the case. Uh, Moving to Europe, Brexit has finally officially been approved by the House of Commons. The UK is slated to enter an 11-month transition period starting on January 31st. So they're still subject to all the laws and regulations of the EU regarding trade, free movement of people. However, they will no longer be able to vote in the EU Parliament. So they basically are in a customs union, but they don't have a say. Um, and so during this transition period, the EU and the UK will be negotiating over the future of trade, free movement, and the Irish border. And these are all very potentially calamitous issues, especially the Irish border, which has a long history, especially with like, things like the troubles. There's concern that if it's not properly addressed, that there could be uh, inflaming of tensions between uh, Catholics and Protestants in Northern Ireland. Uh, The EU, during these negotiations, will want – is said that they want to ensure a level playing field, that they want uh, their labor, consumer, and environmental laws to stay pretty similar to the UK's, uh, because they're concerned that the UK would essentially undercut them and get rid of all of – basically lower their regulations and standards. Um, And it remains to be seen if the two parties are actually able to successfully negotiate and resolve the myriad of these issues in the 11-month period. The EU is pretty pessimistic about it, but Boris Johnson has promised very strongly that he will negotiate the exit by the end of the period. Uh, Elsewhere in Europe, the World Economic Forum held its annual conference in Davos. The mood at the forum seemed especially muted and solemn in comparison to previous years. Climate change, tariffs, resource levels, and wealth inequality were all heavily discussed, with even the wealthiest individuals and corporations acknowledging the myriad of concerns facing the world and the need for action. And then for anyone who isn't aware, the uh, World Economic Forum is essentially where corporations and very wealthy individuals come together to discuss, you know, all the problems that are facing the world and try to draft resolutions and plans to resolve those. And then uh, finally, finishing the Americas, Glenn Greenwald, a prominent journalist involved in the Snowden NSA leaks, has been charged with cybercrimes for publishing documents related to the prosecution and jailing of the former president of Brazil, Lula da Silva, which paved the way for the election of the current president, Jair Bolsonaro. The documents revealed coordination between the presiding judge and current justice mayor Justice Minister, Sergio Moro and the prosecution of the case. In response, the Brazilian government has retaliated with a myriad of investigations and harassment of Greenwald and his news outlet The Intercept. International organizations and many prominent American journalists have called upon the Brazilian government to drop drop the charges and noted the enormous threat this poses to press freedom and additionally have called into the question the conviction of Lula da Silva, who was placed on temporary release after the publication of the messages. And the reason why this was also such a big deal was that in, When Lula da Silva was going to be running in the 2018 presidential election for Brazil and was leading in the polls. But when he was arrested, the PT party, which was for a long time the most popular party in Brazil, had to put another candidate in place, which allowed Jair Bolsonaro to win, which would have been quite unlikely if Lula was running against him. Um, The questionability of the trial and and ensuing prosecution of Greenwald leaves an already teetering Brazilian democracy on increasingly shaky grounds.
0: Wow, thank you so much for that very comprehensive update of some of the biggest news happening internationally. Any questions from the panel? On it?
1: I have a question. So you said that they made I sorry, I forgot the name of the conference. Uh, it's the uh, World Economic Forum. It's in Davos. World Economic o- Forum. So I feel like I see in news a lot, like, oh, like, every uh, couple weeks, like, there's some big meeting at the UN or some world peace organization or some, some organization they're having a meeting at, and they talk about big issues – but then, like, I just keep seeing this ongoing cycle of these type of events. But like, I never see anything really come out of them. Like, is there a reason for that, or I'm just not tuned in enough to these type of events?
3: Not to get too political, but um, oftentimes these events are seen by critics as just kind of PR, um, and they're not really. Normally, what comes out of these conferences is they acknowledge. The existence, which, which is a good step. I mean, you have to acknowledge a lot of the problems. Like, for example, what what uh, the fires in Australia and the fire, the wildfires in California. I mean, these are big issues, and clearly there's some link between the changing climate, whether or not you think it's from man-made or non-man-made. The climate is changing, and so it's a good step for these companies and these individuals to be acknowledging it. But oftentimes, a lot of these conferences, they 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 come together, they say you know, we acknowledge these problems, but oftentimes there there really isn't definitive measures they're going to take. And it's just, again, it's just like acknowledging, but not having definitive strategies. And no one's like, no one's like having to do something. It's not a requirement if you go to this conference that you have to say, cut your carbon emissions or things like that.
1: Okay. Thank you.
0: Yeah. And anything else before we move on from anyone else from the panel?
4: I think he just about summed it up and mm-hmm. gave me a good report on what's happening around the world.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Ethan. Thank you. Got it. Um, okay, with that, next segment up is music and culture with Alejandro. So tell us what is what is going on in the world of music and culture.
1: Look. so as you may may or may not know, the Grammys are on Monday, and the Grammys have storied history, from an artist having awards taken away to upsets, to controversial history within the organization. And um, so about two years ago, um, the current chief executive of the Grammys had been come under fire because uh, people had felt that there wasn't enough female representation in the nominees and that there weren't enough female performers for that night at the Grammys. And in response, he said that women needed to quote-unquote step up so obviously this created a huge roaring within the music community and also just in in culture and whatever because people felt that women had already stepped up and that they've done their due in the music industry and that they didn't need to quote unquote step up because they've been there and they've worked hard and you know they deserve a spot and the spotlight at these awards shows to be recognized long story short um He resigned over a year later, um, although um, while he, before he left, he did create a task force with times up CEO, uh, Tina Chen to improve problems brought up by the controversy to investigate and help uh, the recording Academy uh, sort of diversify and you know, figure out how they could uh, solve this problem. So fast forward a little bit and Deborah Dugan, who was, Uh, previously at the company Red, which was co-founded, which was founded by Bono, which is the, uh, they fight against AIDS and uh, help um, fight against that. So she went from that to to being the chief executive. Oh Oh my goodness. My apologies. Sorry. um, To being the chief executive of the Recording Academy. And now uh, this is historic because the Recording Academy has never had a female chief executive in its whole history. And obviously, after the controversy with her predecessor, it was a big deal because as a woman, she has first hand insight into these problems. However, on January 16, 2020, it came to light that Recording Academy's chief executive, Deborah Dugan, was removed from her position. This was only just 10 days before the Grammys were scheduled to happen. The Recording Academy's response to this was that she had been placed on administrative leave due to concerns by the board of trustees one of those concerns coming from uh, about being of uh, misconduct on her part um, this was brought by a senior female member of the academy and a new york times report reporter ben cesario says that the complaint was brought by a former assistant of dugan's predecessor who said that she lived with the bullying type management style the report also acknowledges that this came three weeks after dugan sent a memo to the recording academy's hr department where she raised concerns about the governance and practices within the organizations which led Dugan to believe that, quote, something was seriously amiss at the academy. Now, some of these key concerns, um, her concerns detailed in the memo, including voting irregularities, financial management, exorbitant, quote-unquote, exorbitant and unnecessary legal bills, and conflicts of interest involving members of the academy's board, executive committee, and outside lawyers. Um, Now, some of these things um, that she had been brought up, that she said, she said, quote, what has been reported is not nearly the story that needs to be told. Mr. Uh, this is, sorry, this is uh, uh, Deborah Dugan's lawyer, uh, Brian Friedman. He said that, and he said, when our ability to speak is not restricted by a 28-page contract on legal threats, we will expose what happens when you step up at the Recording Academy, a public nonprofit. Um, so uh, she also said on Good Morning America that she want. I actually want to make change from within um, when they asked her if the Grammys are rigged, she, was, she said, I was trying to eat uh, at each step to take a deep breath and say, OK, I can make a difference. I can fix this. I can work on this team. Um, so she went on to elaborate on that. She said, quote, for instance, Ed Sheeran and Ariana Grande, who had been voted for by the membership, missed out on nominations in the 2019 Song of the Year category, in part because of an artist who ranked 18 out of the 20 uh, top boat getters was nominated instead. So she's brought up a lot of concerns in this, and basically um accusing uh the academy- recording academy of being broken from the inside and you know it's uh, very interesting for me to see um that uh you know the woman basically who was brought to fix these issues is now uh has now been outed and is now being accused of her own crimes while also accusing. Uh, the Recording Academy of being responsible for her removal. And it's also important to note that in the report, um, she, Dugan also reported receiving unwanted sexual advances by Joe Katz, who um, uh, the reporter Cesario says in the article is, quote, a powerful industry lawyer who represents the Grammys. Um, so obviously this will be um, an ongoing uh, legal battle. Um, so I just wanted to uh, see what you guys uh, thought of the situation. Um, I mean, I
3: I'm not necessarily uh, extremely aware of the music scene, um, but it, it certainly is a situation that seems to have a lot of angles, and um, probably would reserve judgment until more information comes about it. But it certainly seems like problematic that the Grammys did bring in this woman to reform and kind of improve the image and like push the idea that it was being progressive and, pr- and improving itself, but once maybe she pushed too much, it seems they, they put, push her out. Um, and so it, it even, even for these, ins- these uh, organizations, institutions we think are like progressive and, and really pushing forward for representation, that we shouldn't just take that for a given and we should still keep an eye on them and you know, kind of keep an eye on them. They just don't trust it entirely.
1: That's a okay. good way to put it.
0: Yeah, and with that, thank you so much, Alejandro, for delivering us that story on the Grammys. And with that, it is finally Haley's time to shine here on sports. So, Haley, what's going on in the world of sports?
4: Before I touch on that, I want to say something real quick on what we just talked about.
0: Oh, sorry?
4: You're all good. Um, I think it goes, for those of you who aren't in Cronkite, we have a Dean named Dean Gilger who wrote a book about women leadership in the media industry. And I think it goes a lot to a what her book was saying about the balance of a woman in leadership because they can either be seen as way too bossy or pushovers so I think that could have been part of the problem and I think that people get intimidated sometimes by when women try to come into power roles so it's interesting to see how that's taking form in such an important stage like the Grammys but now I will transition into sports um, I want to give you all a quick update. The Suns are currently winning by four points t- over the San Antonio Suns, and we're in like the tw- there's like 20 seconds left in the game. So hopefully the Suns can hold on to this one, pick up their 19th win of the season, and do better than they did last season. That will uh, tie the record that they had last season. And now I will quickly move into football and let you all know that unless you've been under a stacks of homework or living under a rock. The Super Bowl is coming up next week, and it's going to be the Kansas City Chiefs against the 49ers. The game's going to be a defense versus an offense game with the 49ers looking like a defensive powerhouse and the Kansas City Chiefs looking great on offense. It's going to be Super Bowl 54, and it's taking place in Miami at the Hard Rock on February 2nd at 4.30 Mountain Time. If you're not in it for the main event, the halftime show should be pretty great because Shakira and J-Lo are ready to blow the house down. Next week, I'm going to get more into it, but this week I want to tell you guys about how they got there. So let's go all the way back to th- 2013. Vines, crazy, screaming goats are what everyone's watching on YouTube, and Lord is topping the charts. But recently, the Chiefs acquired head coach Andy Reid from the Eagles, and they and he's looking good for the Chiefs. Then in 2016, the Chiefs drafted Chris Jones in the second round. And he's still a part of the core defense of the Chiefs today, and he's part of the reason the Chiefs are where they are. In 2017, though, the Chiefs would really start building as they drafted Pat Mahomes. He's their quarterback, and he's really, really, really important to where they are today as he's thrown over 50 touchdowns. He, in fact, threw most of those in the 2018 season and continues to grow on that number. That takes us to the 2020 season where the Chiefs have looked good for most of the season with the main turnaround coming in week 10. That was their final loss of the season so far and they've been winning and winning and winning from there. On the 49ers side, it's a shock that they were able to get to the Super Bowl so quickly. It was a miracle that Jimmy G was able to stay healthy and help his team get to where they are today. But as I was telling you earlier, the 49ers are a defensive powerhouse and their draft picks have started to Payoff, as DeForest Bunker, Solomon Thomas, Mike Maglini, and Nick Boza have all showed up and helped the 49ers get to where they are. But this week is not the Super Bowl, so we will quickly head over to talk about the Pro Bowl. And the Pro Bowl happened yesterday. The mini-games happened, but the actual game is happening this Sunday, and it's going to be the AFC versus the NFC. But I want to know what you guys think. Do you think the Pro Bowl is a joke, or should it be a game that is taken seriously?
1: It didn't used to be a joke.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's cool. It's kind of cool to see all you know all the players on the same field. It's like I don't know for those of you out there who play Madden, it's always what you try to do. Like you take all your favorite, all the awesome right. players, and y'all put them on the same team. But it'd be like in Madden if all the players really didn't play that hard mm-hmm. and they couldn't actually do
1: anything cool.
4: Gotcha. Okay, you guys in the other room. Do you have any opinions?
1: Well, Sorry. my mic um, is not working. Let me, Uh, I'll just say that, um, you know, I think uh, part of that, uh, the reason that the people might view the Pro Bowl as less of now is that, um, you know, they obviously play less hard because there didn't used to be such an emphasis on player safety. Right. Um, And I just think that, you know, overall football, um, you know, like NBA has All-Star Weekend, NHL has All-Star Weekend, um, but... NFL doesn't really have that break in their season, so it doesn't really go to their benefit.
4: Well, thank you for that transition. I was just actually about to talk to you guys about the NHL All-Star Game. The NHL All-Star Weekend has already kicked off, and on six, at 6.15 tomorrow in St. Louis, the men's All-Star Game is going to happen, but the secret is, tonight was the women's All-Star Game. The men will play in 3v3 rather than a 5v5 game, and it will be a round-robin tournament format. It will be a goal-scoring fence for the offense and the defense, but the goalies might have another opinion as they're just going to have to wait for the regular season to resume. In other news, the MLB Hall of Fame nominations were just put in, and Derek Jeter almost got unanimously put in like his teammate Mariano Rivera, but he was one vote short. Barry Bonds did not make it into the Hall of Fame, and he has two more years left on the ballot, but his steroids may get in the way again. I want to open it up to you guys and see what you think. Do you think he will get in despite the steroids?
2: Um, probably.
3: I mean, I'm not very aware. I know it's such an it's a it's an incredible honor to be in the Hall of Fame for any sport, um, but it really does depend on on how your standard goes for for the way I've always seen it, it it's you put people in the Hall of Fame who were huge for the history of the game so maybe and that's how I view it I, in my opinion view it is it's like you're putting like if you had a museum of mm-hmm. football or you had a museum of the MLB would you really be able to tell the story of the MLB without Barry Bonds mm-hmm. I mean I think yes of course it, you don't want to reward steroid use and but there are other players who did use steroids and. There's less of. That. There's also some um, disagreement now over what really constitutes steroid use, and what's really just measures that are meant to help players, you know, protect themselves and heal because of the huge demands that
0: the sports put on them. Right. Yeah, I couldn't say any of that better myself. And also, um, why do would you happen to know why Jeter managed to get one vote away from unanimous and, man, and just just missed it barely missed it
4: so they're actually talking about that right now and I was going to give you guys the scoop next week and let you know more because they're as I said, yesterday is when these decisions came out. So they're kind of investigating that right now. There's actually a joke going around that they're going to subpoena the BBWA, <laughs> who's the group that uh, makes the votes. But my suspicion as a Yankees fan is it was either a Boston Red Sox reporter or a Mets reporter. But, oh, of uh, course. <laughs> you know, I'm happy he got in, and uh, I think everyone— who's a Yankees fan, a baseball fan, or him himself, he said he's happy and he doesn't mind. So he's there. He's where he deserves to be. So uh, that one boat won't get in his way.
0: Wow, that's a beautiful way to put it. And is that all from you today?
4: Uh, I'll let you guys know to go follow us on Twitter at the TheReviewBlaze. I want to mention that for some of my stuff, I'll give you guys articles to read if you wanted more just because we were a little rushed for time today. So uh, there will be some articles on there that will give you a better overview of what I was talking about.
3: And as well, for anyone who wanted to read more about some of the stuff I talked about in my portion, um, all ASU students have access to the New York Times. You just have to use your login, and then you get free access to all the New York Times coverage and their archives.
0: Yes, so take advantage of that. You are paying for it (laughs) uh, if you're an ASU student. And with that, I am sorry for the minor technical difficulties that have been going on through the show. So there are some minor issues with the studio, and also my, I was the one who produced this episode, so
2: good job, I, Gideon. Good job.
0: Thank you so much. <laughs> um, it's a good so, start. Yeah, we're, we're, we really have to leave the studio. So I, yeah. re- so before we go, I just want to say thank you so much for tuning into the review. Um, what Haley said. Follow us on Twitter at the Review Blaze. We, what well, we want to post more content. And we will be posting a recorded epi- uh, the recorded version of this episode onto podcasts soon, so we'll have all that information there. So follow us and have keep the conversation. Have a great weekend,
2: everyone. Ha-
0: have a great weekend. I'm Gideon
1: Kariuki. I'm John Brown.
4: I'm Haley Smilo.
1: I'm Alejandro De La Cerda. And I'm Ethan Pellin. Good night, everybody. Woo! <laughs>